If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits, just like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit that empowers kids and teens through the game of golf. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear how they did it or visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional to learn more. Again, that's bloomerang.com forward slash intentional. Today, I'm excited to talk with Regina Al-Hassan. She is the CEO of Research Pro, where she helps nonprofit leaders reach their highest goals. She's been called a prospect development legend, helping to identify literally billions of dollars, that's billions with a B, in prospective gifts for multi-million dollar campaigns all across the U.S. With a history of sector leadership spanning two decades, Regina is on the faculty of the APRA Fundamentals Program. That's the American Prospect Research Association. She's also past chapter leader with APRA and past board officer with the AFP chapter in Central Ohio. She's passionate about making philanthropy and professional fundraising accessible and equitable for all. Regina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tammy. It is a pleasure to be here and super grateful for the opportunity to have a conversation. Oh, I feel like we're the fortunate ones. Thank you for being here. Regina, you are the research pro. Let's just start off with having you define what is prospect research and what role does it play in the donor development cycle? I like to respond to that like kind of by taking a step back and looking at the larger umbrella of prospect development. And so prospect development, it's all about that large umbrella. It's all about identifying prospects for your organization, identifying giving prospects, and identifying strategies to engage them. And then the other piece of that is utilizing the systems to manage that relationship. So that's prospect development as a whole. And then prospect research sort of falls under that umbrella as one element. So as I'm developing a relationship with an individual prospect, whether or not it's a person, a corporation, or a foundation, et cetera, no matter what the funding entity is, as I'm developing that relationship, certainly there may be an opportunity where I want to know more about that person or that funder. So then I'm doing prospect research. And I'm finding out more about an individual or a group 
of individual funding entities. That's such an important distinction. You know, I think about nonprofit organizations who say, we really dream of the day when we can have a prospect researcher. But in truth, there is a bigger picture, right? There's prospect development. So thank you for that distinction. So what are the tools that nonprofits need in their prospect development operation to really move the needle? The number one tool is, all I say is your development officer. Like that's your number one resource. But when it comes to the tools, your CRM is incredibly important. So your donor database, where is all of your data living? Because that really is the history of your relationship and the engagement and the way that that person has interacted and advocated for you in some way. So that database is incredibly important. That's the number one tool. And then all the things that kind of go into that, you need a solid data structure, you need clear like prospect management, clear prospect definitions, et cetera. And then great contact reports are always important. Oh, yes. I mean, that really is a discipline to make certain that every note goes into the donor management system. Yeah, and it can be a challenge. And so there are opportunities where maybe it's not every single note, but if you're all using automation and, you know, technology nowadays, things are feeding information into each other. So it's not as big of a stretch, but it's not necessarily every single note, but those important things that move the giving conversation along. How do nonprofit organizations determine when it's best to invest in a prospect development operation internally versus partnering with an outside prospect management service like Research Pro? There are a few different criteria that an organization or checklist that an organization can go through. So one is always like your campaign total, keeping that in in the capacity. So the capacity of your team, does your team have the ability to pipeline for a hundred million dollar campaign, you know, as well as, so that's that proactive identification, as well as creating fundraising reports for the team, as well as doing gift entry in some organizations. So really thinking about the capacity of the team that you have and whether or not it makes sense to bring on additional resources, additional help with that. And then I also like to look at it from the perspective of sometimes of staff burnout, especially gift officer burnout. If you hear your gift officer say, I need prospects. I can't find prospects. I need names. Well, then there's a clear call to action of like, maybe we need to pause and think about how are we currently prospecting? Is there an opportunity to do something different or do we need another set of expertise? What I'm hearing is that there's the prospecting for major donors, perhaps capital donors within your current donor database, within that pool of people who do give to you currently or who have given to you in the past. And then there's the prospect research and donor development work for, gosh, our pipeline just does not have enough supporters to get us to the goal for this campaign. And that's where a service like yours can help us find people that we may not have relationships with whatsoever. Yeah. 
another approach that I like to take sometimes is really looking at the variance of the team and the internal team. I've had clients that they have a prospect researcher on them, but maybe that researcher is also wearing another hat or another one and a half hats, et cetera. <laughs> sure. But it could be that it is a fundraising professional that's new to the field. They've only been in fundraising for the last two to five years. And so they're just figuring out, like, what is this? How do all these moving parts come together? And so then there's an opportunity for me to go into an organization, partner with an organization, and really help them with more of like the internal coaching and the staff coaching with their existing team. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense. Essentially teaching them to fish. In- yeah. In a way, what do you typically see? Do you typically see like a hybrid model where they have at least a portion of someone's time dedicated to prospect research or prospect management, and then you can supplement that, especially if there's a significant campaign in the works? Yeah, I see a mix. Mm. So it's been really interesting the last five years since I started my own firm. It's been really interesting to see just that mix in the variety of organizations and what their different needs are. So there are some teams that have the tools, they have a a robust fundraising department, they've got 10 or more fundraisers, gift officers, they have DevOps staff, et cetera, but they still need additional support. And those types of organizations, sometimes we're just doing a culture shift. They're like, no, this is what a prospect development program looks like. Yes, everybody's doing their own part, but it's still not quite meshy. Mm-hmm. They still don't have the data infrastructure to support everyone's great work. So then it's, Regina, can you please help us get the system together, get this operation, this machine together? And that type of organization may have all of the tools, but just not using them. Sure. They don't have someone on the team that has the expertise to utilize the tools and then also to understand what they're getting when it comes to the prospect development. Mm. Is there a certain budget or fundraising goal number where you see, gosh, once you pass the $5 million in funding you need to raise, that's where you really need this kind of tool and support to achieve your goals? Or do you see it at budgets even smaller than that? Yeah. Again, kind of across the board, typically an organization, when they reach out to me, they have at least a $5 million fundraising goal. And that's generally like the annual fund goal. And they're just beginning to launch a a separate campaign of like 50 million and up, maybe 20 at the low year, 20 million and up as a special campaign. And so that size organization understands like, well, we have these goals, we have to get there. And then there's usually enough budget to make that investment. But to be honest, I be- I strongly believe, because I'm passionate about the science and the data science fundraising, that the smaller shops that have the smaller budgets really are the ones that need it the most. And so just finding ways to make it accessible for those types of organizations that simply just don't have the budget. I love that. You know, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I was really excited about having you be a guest on the podcast 
is that you are so passionate about making philanthropy and professional fundraising equitable and accessible for all. And that was a central message in your amazing TED Talk that you did a a couple of years ago. There is a myth in the sector that people of color aren't philanthropic. Would you please set the record straight? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So you referenced the TEDx talk, Black People, Money, Philanthropy. And so really digging into that whole notion of and not for the TED Talk, the focus was specifically on Black Americans, but also understanding that and having follow-up conversations and just doing more research, et cetera, that these statistics are not necessarily unique to Black Americans and Black donors. Every group, every ethnic group is giving. And so some of the facts that I share are very specific. To black donors, but some of those facts are, you know, that two thirds of black households in the United States are donors. They're participating in philanthropy. Thirty percent of black donors, black households that are giving, give because of family tradition. So there's this huge sense of we're going to give no matter what. It's built into us. We're getting yeah. twice as likely to believe that their gift makes a difference. of Black American donors report plans to increase their giving. They're four times as likely to use social media to raise funds. And the 2022 Facebook fundraising total among Black Americans was $6 billion. $6 billion. $6 billion. Wow. Facebook fundraising. Amazing. The space that many organizations are afraid to enter and are still decide do they want to get into that space? Six million dollars from one ethnic group in one year. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. You know, we recently hosted Transform 23, a virtual fundraising summit. We had over 1,100 uh, registered guests. It was amazing. And mostly it was amazing because we had incredible speakers. And one of them was Una Oselli. Yes. Do you, yes. Isn't she amazing? Yeah, I'm yeah. such a fan girl. Yes. Same. So for our listeners, she's the Associate Dean of Research at Indiana University, the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And in her talk, she shared a lot about how generous communities of color and specifically African-American families people are. And she confirmed that high net worth giving is very diverse. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I, you know, I would really, truly love to believe that most nonprofits want to be more inclusive and that they want to diversify their donor portfolios. How can prospect research or prospect development help us identify prospects of color or other diverse communities? who have an interest in specific issues and causes that are close to ours. I get excited about this as the prospect researcher and the prospect development professional. And I believe very strongly and have given presentations about this, that prospect development professionals, prospect development as this sort of niche industry within the greater industry of philanthropy, we have a unique responsibility to do that type prospecting. We are that front line. We are that front line that identifies 
potential advocates based on affinity, based on demonstrated interest, based on giving capacity, based on demonstrated past behavior. And we are the ones that are able to say, hey, you know what, let's broaden our scope. We absolutely know there's no argument. There's lots of conversation. There's lots of research around how we're overlooking prospects using our tried and true tactics. But we also can say, let's pause, time out, and let's add this element to the mix. Yes, yes. we'll still do some wealth-based identification. Yes, and we'll see who turns up. But hey, we know that we are... In a community comprised of primarily Latino Americans. So let's be strategic about identifying people that, you know, fit that category, whatever your category may be. Let's be strategic about going to find the people that then meet all these other criteria with the full expectation. And maybe this is the culture shift with the full expectation that those people do exist in these different communities. Rather than approaching it from, we probably won't find anyone. I'm not sure if these unicorns even exist. You know, like, are they yeah. out there? You know, do non-white people care? Do non-white people have money? Like, and so it, that might be the shift that we have to make. Whereas the, the looking, but looking for people, understanding they absolutely are out there. Now, where can we go find them? What behavior are they demonstrating? What are they engaging in? And then let's kind of reverse engineer and do that same type of proactive analysis. If we know that high net worth individuals behave in this way, so then we're going to go and look for other people that behave in that way, we can do the same thing with another lens. Yeah. And you're right. We have more control than we think in the development yes. profession. We really do. Now, I would assume there's a direct correlation between having a diverse board and a diverse executive leadership team and actually attracting diverse donors. So obviously, clearly demonstrating an authentic value, an authentic respect and wanting inclusiveness, not just valuing money from diverse donors. Yes. Yeah. So what do you see in your work from that regard when we're trying to reverse engineer it? There's you know, there may be some internal work we need to do. There absolutely is internal work that our organizations need to do. Just absolutely. And accepting that. And then leaning into that and hiring, finding the professionals that can help us with that. So this type of work and equity, et cetera, like it's a profession. There are practitioners. There are people that are trained in this. And have degrees in this. When you talk about these type of issues, you're getting into human psychology and so many other broad fields. So really investing in people that are trained in this, that have the tools and all the other expertise to lead this type of change for your organization. And it's not the one non-white person on your team. Like they're not born knowing how to do this. We all have bias. We all have our own issues. We all have our own things that we have to deal with and get through in order to advance equity. Like no matter who you are, no matter what your privilege is in one scenario, 
in which a privilege may not be in another scenario. We all have some work to do here in the organization, people that are already there at the organization. The onus really is on them to do that internal work. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. First T of Greater Accra needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Here's Executive Director Josh Smith sharing what he likes about Bloomerang. We love Bloomerang because it's so, like, it's very user-friendly. We're able to do more because our daily tasks of thanking donors and sending thank you notes have been cut more than half because of Bloomerang. Year over year, we have raised more funds, so obviously I think Bloomerang's been a huge part of that. By investing in a donor management system that they actually love using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. And there are so many resources available, so many amazing podcasts, so many seminars and webinars. And I'm so thrilled that organizations like the Association of Fundraising Professionals are getting so much more intentional about having speakers of color, speakers from diverse communities, whether they're LGBTQ or Latinx, just the breadth and complete inclusion. And so there are so many resources at our disposal. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is our accountability to step into that space and to really lead in that space. Yeah. And to acknowledge, like, here I am, a white woman, right, with privilege, to say, I have so much to learn. Like, Regina, please teach me. You know? Yes. And we've had some other amazing guests on the podcast as well. Of course, Birgit Burton, the mm-hmm. global board chair of AFP, Shantara McBride, who wrote the mm-hmm. book Courageous Discomfort. It's just so many books and mm-hmm. so many resources. And this is the thing. I've always felt, I've had the experience when I've worked in the sector, not just consulting, but as a practitioner, that so many times it is philanthropy or advancement or development is kind of like the tail wagging the dog. Right. We kind of push like we need a bigger vision. We need a more compelling vision to get support. And this is another one of those examples. Yeah. Yeah. Because in many ways, we are that front line to the community. Yes. And so it makes total sense. And you're absolutely right. And I am always very readily to admit, like, I'm Black. I'm a Black woman. And that's what I'm comfortable. Like, I can talk about that. That's my experience. I can't speak about another person's experience or, you know, another group's experience. And I don't try to. And I, you know, that's just my personal choice. And what I have leaned into over the years in this profession, I recognize that many ethnic groups have a shared experience and a lot of commonality. But I'm also very careful about, like, I know about myself, about my experience. I'm not always fully informed about another group. And so I also have a lot of learning to do. We all do. We all do. 
Yes. And that's part of what is exciting about this global world we live in. Like rather than finding that intimidating, I personally it's exciting. Like we can connect over food. What kind of food should you eat? Let's eat. Let's talk about that. Tell me about your culture. We can share and learn. And then we can get into some other deeper conversations. So I'm passionate about sharing culture, experiencing different cultures and embracing that. Same. And that's the beauty of community, like inviting people from other cultures, other life journeys and saying, let's learn about each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the juice of it. So exciting. I think that for a lot of small to medium sized nonprofit organizations, maybe even some large ones, having a staff member dedicated to prospect development or prospect research, sometimes it seems out of reach. And I'm not so sure that's really true as I talk to you. So with that specific question that might be on the mind of some of our listeners right now, what would you say to them and how can they resource this important function? And I get that sometimes organizations, we just don't have the budget for them. We can't afford that. And some of the tools, the staff, you know, all of those things. And it's an investment. But I push back on that a bit. Because in many ways, you can't afford not to. So we absolutely know that prospect development professionals generate or identify at minimum 75% of and increased gifts. Whoa, and that's, that's an important huge. stat. Yes, that's huge. And so if you can afford not to find those people, then so be it. Don't invest in it. That's your choice. There's also research around the team success. So your fundraising team is more likely, and the stats are like 80% or more, they're more likely to achieve the fundraising goal with the dedicated prospect development profession or some sort of dedicated prospect development identification effort. Wow. I completely understand the budget question in the budget concern, but I push back on that and ask, can you really afford not to invest? Mm -hmm. So there is a real quantifiable return on investment that we could project by investing in this really important function. Absolutely. For those who are now like perked up, like what, there's some stats I can put together a case for support for investment in this. Where would we find some of that documentation? Like, can I include a link to APRA or some other go-to site that you would recommend to help people justify investing in this? So definitely APRA is an incredible resource for the industry, especially for not fundraisers who are not in the prospect development field. It's sort of its own mini universe in the larger fundraising universe. They have resources. Around that, they also have what's called the body of knowledge, which really helps you understand the way your prospect development team should be set up. It's sort of this, the different, like different levels and the different capability, the different levels of expertise. So sort of this level one and level two. So maybe a level one researcher is doing research, confirming addresses, confirming assets. But then you have a level two prospect development strategist that is really more focused on that larger strategy, the systems in the culture of the organization. So APRA is an incredible resource, not only to help you build out a case or support a case for investment, but also to reference 
as you build out your team and build out expectation around the return on the investment in prospect. Amazing. Yeah. And I did not realize, I've never worked in a shop that had a prospect research staff position. And I didn't realize there's an entire career path just in prospect development. Absolutely. So cool. Well, we'll definitely include links to APRA and the body of knowledge so people can lean into that and really become better versed and, and make that case. Regina, I want you to tell us a story. <laughs> yeah. I know you've got amazing stories. So tell us one of the stories, like one of your proudest moments as a prospect development researcher or support person, a big win. I've seen my work result in so many things, like from gardens to behavioral health facilities, women's shelter, research, all the things. But a recent story that I will share, this is very, very recent. A colleague from the Ohio State University, where I spent most of my career as a gift officer, a major gift officer, shared a story with me just a few weeks ago about how I was part of his biggest success story at OSU's College of Pharmacy. This was about 10 to 12 years ago now. He was a new gift officer, new in the role, new at the university, and the college had a $20 million goal. Leadership says, we don't think you're going to make the $20 million. Like, as he's onboarding, $20 million is probably a stretch for this college. You're new, et cetera. Let's drop it down to 10. And so he said he had met with me by the end, and he met me as his prospect development partner. And he felt confident based on the data that I had already provided him to go back to leadership as a new gift officer and say, I don't want to cut my goal. I think I can do the 20. Confident I can do the 20. At the end of the campaign, the college ended up doing 23 million. And he said specifically that that was because of my great work. And he wouldn't have done that had it not been for me. So it's like, oh, that's all that feel good. You were the secret sauce. That's yes. so great. Did, tell me the truth. Did you cry a little bit? I, <laughs> just a little tear of joy. Yeah, yeah. Like just a little tingly. Like, oh, wow. This is a great story. Just a great story. And so as a prospect development professional, as that sort of back office internal person, we don't always get to hear those type of stories. Yeah. And like I said, that was like 10, 12 years ago. So to be able to catch up with a great colleague, shout out to Tom Dahlberg, if you're listening, a great colleague, and then to hear that, that that's what he had carried with him, and that the legacy yeah. of relationship. That's amazing. And you know, I'm based in Michigan, but I'm not going to hold the Ohio State thing <laughs> against you. <laughs> if you don't, I'm the, well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Regina, at the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions to yeah. kind of provide a little more value for our listeners. Are you game for a few questions? I'm gay. I think I'm up for it. Okay. All right. First question. What's the best fundraising or prospect development advice you've ever received? Let it rest. When I was first entered the prospect research field and he's go down the rabbit hole and and figure out what's important, what can I find, what should I find, et cetera. Uh, a decent researcher, the best advice they ever gave me was to let it rest. 
and you get frustrated and can't find the asset that you're looking for, can't find the contact information that you're looking for, just say them and come back to it the next day. And yeah. it never fails. Whatever I was looking for and frustrated, I couldn't find the next day. It's always right there. So Great that's advice. Yeah, so that's one for the researchers. <laughs> yes. All right, everyone, get a post-it note and a Sharpie out right now. Let it rest and put it up where you can see it. So good. Regina, what book do you recommend to our audience and why? Yeah, We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Have you heard of this? I have not. It's an incredible book. And so in this book, We Should All Be Millionaires, this entrepreneur, Rachel Rogers, challenges women to find and generate new streams of income for themselves. Whether or not that is making the case for a raise at your job or a new position or creating a side income for yourself. So sort of a side hustle or taking a leap of faith and starting your own business all together. And she makes the case that we should all be millionaires, women and women of color especially, because when we have resources, when we're millionaires, we're high net worth individuals, the philanthropy that follows is transformative. And so she's really empowering as an entrepreneur, you know, how to do business, really tactical. Do this. She challenges me. One of the challenges she gave was to double your rates. And I took this challenge last year. And so every page is incredible. Every page is inspirational. Wow. She has challenges throughout the book. And so when I got to this one, I wouldn't let myself continue reading until I completed the challenge. And so the idea of doubling your rates and leaning into our fear as women, as women of color, as women business owners, and that whole thing around our value, questioning our value, just lean into it, double your rates, you're worth it. You have the expertise. It took me a couple of weeks, but I finally accepted the challenge, doubled my rates. And the proposal I sent out, the client came back and said, that's great. We have a little more. The book is life-changing. Yeah. As soon so as we're done talking, I'll be ordering it online. Yes. And, and for my clients who might be listening, please don't be scared. Don't be frightened. <laughs> No, absolutely. This is something really for every woman, for every woman. Yeah. And it's, it really gets to our value and the power that we hold to transform the world and make the changes that we want to see in the world. That piece yeah. is really, really simple. And when you said that the first time, like when women do well, when women acquire wealth, the philanthropy that flows is transformative. That, Regina, gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so powerful. What do you think are the three most important traits a successful fundraiser or prospect developer must possess? A shared trait that they both must have, like really compassion, mm -hmm. interest in serving the world, serving a greater cause themselves, a sense of curiosity. Why do they give? Why do they do that? What else can I do? You know, that analysis think is driven by an innate curiosity that's also really important. I love that. What's your favorite prospect research or prospect development application or tool? Iway is my go-to. We just did a presentation together today. 
And I'm I went consulting partner. I'm shameless, shameless <laughs> about it. And people often ask, which one should I use? Pine wave or donor surge or something else? And I compare them like Apple to Android. I have a personal preference. And iWave is my personal preference. Both are powerful tools. There are other tools out there, but iWave really is my go-to. I'm really curious right now what AI can do for prospect development. And that's a brand new space. I'm just wondering what the possibilities are. I think the possibilities yeah. are endless, but really curious about trying that out. We'll have to have another conversation in six months. Yeah. Because that AI is emerging very rapidly. Yes. Yeah. In fundraising. Of course, it's been in our lives for quite some time, right? Talk to Siri or Alexa. You're using AI. What's your favorite fundraising or conference or, or nonprofit conference? And yeah. I have two. What is your two? One is very small, which is the Ohio Prospect Research Network Conference. And Ohio, that group, OPRN, is the Ohio chapter of APRA. And I've just been a longtime member, served on the board, was president, et cetera. And I just love OPRN. I love the spring conference. It's small. And that small size allows us to really dig into the content that meaningful to the membership. So that's the small one. But a really big one is the nonprofit storytelling conference. And I just had a great time there. It was fun. It was the first time that I felt like I was at a conference and I had fun. The whole time, even yeah. as I was learning so much, it was just, just fun. Yeah. And this year, 2023, I think we're back in San Diego. Oh, I didn't know that. I think so. I think okay. that if I'm not, yeah, at the end of October, I believe. Okay. Very good. So to... let's just meet up there. Yes. Regina, knowing what you know now about prospect development and fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession? The advice would be to leap sooner. So I took the leap of faith to start my own firm five years ago. And it was an idea that I had for a long time. And I just wish I had taken that leap a little bit sooner and used my voice to sort of elevate equity and inclusion, to elevate the prospect development profession in a greater way. I wish I had started doing that much sooner rather than waiting for someone else to do it in the way that felt like it needed to be done. Yeah. Well, you're doing it now and we're all the better for it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh. And thank you for joining us today, Regina. It's really been a delight. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm happy to come back and have those follow-up conversations about AI and, and other things. Yeah, we'll do it. If you want to learn more about Regina, the Research Pro, APRA, or follow her on social media, we've included the links to her handles in the show notes, as well as links to the other resources that we've talked about today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now for a final word from our sponsor. Mm -hmm. 
thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. If you'd like to learn more about how Bloomerang can help your nonprofit acquire, retain, and engage donors, or learn how First Tea of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds in the first year with Bloomerang, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a fundraising transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.